My name's Adam. Um, I'm one of the leaders here at Woodside, and it again, uh, once again, is my privilege to be uh, sharing God's word with you this morning of what is our second number two preach in the series uh, uh, on prayer that we have kind of put together as a church. Uh, I thought Tim, where's Tim, did such an amazing job last week with the Lord's Prayer. I think it's really hard to sometimes to bring kind of fresh truth from verses that we all know, but I know that really has served me incredibly well this week, actually. I've been really inspired by Tim's word last week, and, and my prayer is that hopefully um, in the second one you will be equally as inspired. So what we're looking at today is we're looking at the prayer of a man called Paul uh, in the book of Ephesians, and this is taken from Ephesians 1. Um, this is written by a guy called Paul. Uh, when he wrote this, uh, the likelihood is we read from the kind of latter chapters of Acts. He was probably imprisoned in Rome, uh, probably about 60 years uh, after Christ had been born, so about 30 years after Christ had died. Um, he's under house arrest. We learn that from Acts. Uh, and this letter is clearly written to the Ephesian church. What's interesting is the early manuscripts that we get of Ephesians is that to the church in Ephesus isn't always there. So well, the thought is that while this is very clear to the Ephesians, this letter, and it's quite important actually when you consider the context of this, this letter would have gone wider. It would have almost been a church circular letter is the, is the thought. That this church wouldn't have just gone to this church in Ephesus, which is kind of modern day Turkey, but it would have gone to churches all across the region as a, as a kind of circular letter. Um, and the nature of this letter from Paul is that is one of real encouragement. I mean, Ephesians is an incredible letter, an incredible letter of encouragement. And my encouragement to you guys is to really get to grips with this letter because it is quite remarkable. Um, and this letter is, is oh, and, and contained within this letter is a wonderful prayer that we're going to look at this morning, uh, which is in Ephesians 1, verses, I think it's 15 to 19. So I'm going to read that, and then we'll make a start. So this is Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, to this church in Ephesus and to the Christians uh, further afield. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, for you remember you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. The first thing to draw out from this prayer uh, and it's understanding the wider scope of the Bible, is that our God is one that has always desired relationship with his people. I hope that's something you, you understand and grasp. It, it's almost, it, it is supremely unique about our faith compared to other faiths. Faith is this interpersonal relationship between God and his people. Um, and this has been present right from the start of time to right at the end of time. This is a consistent theme all through the kind of broad strokes of the Bible. You see it in the Garden of Eden. It talks about Adam walking with God. They walked in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we see it 
uh, with the Israelites in the wilderness. When the Israelites, and Israelites, when we read Israelites in the Old Testament, uh, we're talking about God's people. When God's people are taken out of cap- uh, uh, captive in slavery uh, in Egypt, uh, they go into the wilderness. So they're trying to find a place to stay, uh, and they and they take with them these these thousands of people take with them what's called the tent of meeting and the ark of the covenant which contained the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments, which was something of the character of God in his, in his commandments uh, written down. It conveyed something. <clears throat> Tent of meeting, his presence, the Ark of Covenant, uh, the commandments, it displayed and conveyed something of God's character, his holiness, his purity, um, his grace, his grace in being able to reflect and understand that this is your God. We see it latterly in, the, in David and Solomon in the, in the building of the temple. Uh, and we read, I think it's in 2 Samuel, uh, with, um, uh, when the temple was finally built by Solomon, it talks about how God comes rushing in. And the presence of God inhabits the temple. God presence rushing in. And we see it late, uh, even after that through the speaking of the prophets when Israel, when, when God's people at this point scattered into tribes had wandered away from him and his standards, God would raise leaders up bringing them back. All the while bringing them back to him. These communication lines, these, these statements from these prophets saying, this is who I am. Remember who you are. Remember what you're called to be. So all through that, the Old Testament, we see this picture of God in communication, in relationship with his people. And now we're at the point of history now where God is, has, is doing that. And, it's, and throughout the Old Testament, there was prophesying a time when God would, would meet with his people in a, in, in a more profound way, if I've got a better way of putting it, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is the, which is the time we live in now. I mean, the grace for us living in this time where if you're a Christian, you can say to yourself, God lives within me. I mean, that's the reality. If, you're, if your heart has been changed, if you can say Christ is Lord, you can only say Christ is Lord because the Holy Spirit has revealed Christ to you. It's the only way. And Christ then lives within us. Who here is a Christian? Yes, reaction, love that. Okay, I noticed how it wasn't voices, it was hands, like that. So we've got the Holy Spirit within us, God with us, and that wonderful relationship we have personally between, between us and God, which people, and God's people in the time of, kind of Israel in the wilderness, David and Solomon in the temple, uh, and the prophets, they didn't have, that we have. It's incredible. But that isn't the end of the story because the fulfillment of God meeting with his people is when Christ comes again. And one day we live with Christ for eternity in the way that God wanted it to be, which almost goes back to the start in the Garden of Eden. This theme of God wanting relationship with his people is consistent all the way through the Bible. So for us, it's an important thing to reflect upon it. Living a Christian life isn't just... I'm a Christian. It is relationship. God's commitment to relationship with his people is absolute. So for us, we live in the blessings of that. The amazing truth of this is remarkable. That our all-powerful, all-loving, holy, omnipotent, omniscient God has been and will always be committed to his people in the context of relationship. 
So within this context now, Paul is praying this prayer. This is the context that Paul is praying this prayer. He is is encouraging, he's exhorting the Ephesians here that effectively that their relationship with God, which God is committed to in, in, in absolute entirety, would have a length and a depth to it. My question this morning to start off is, there's no conviction here at all. It's a question I've been asking myself. Where do you see your relationship with God? Like your relationship with God? Because this is what Paul's preaching into here. The depth of that relationship. As we go through this verse, It's important to consider what Paul is saying in this first part of this verse. He says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. You see, uh, reading our Bibles is one of the primary ways that God has chosen to reveal himself. It's crucial to having a relationship uh, with God and knowing who God is. Reading our Bibles is really important. This is the revealed word of God. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself. Okay, this is the primary way that God has chosen to reveal himself. The pages in here, the words in here, God working through people for history that we hold on to as God's word, this is how God has chosen to reveal himself. So we can get the knowledge of God through here. Yeah, you get that? Yeah, knowledge of God is in here. If you want to know what God is like, it's in here. Primarily in here. Okay? And if anyone preaches anything counter to this, Just be wary of that. This is the revealed word of God. Okay? But what Paul is saying here is that to get to know God better, it's not simply about this. Okay? I've got to be careful how I phrase a lot of these things here. It's not simply about knowing these scriptures. It's also about experiencing a revelation of that knowledge of God. Really important. And prayer is fundamental to that. That's why Paul's praying it. Because it's through prayer that we can put our trust in God and it is through that that we can have a deeper revelation of who he is. Prayer is fundamental to that. Prayer is fundamental to us really knowing God. It really is. Consider this, consider my wife. My wife, Connie, uh, amazing woman. Uh, Everyone always tells me, your wife's amazing. Yes, she's amazing. She's great. I'm, I'm all right too, but she's, you know. Your wife's amazing. Your children are lovely. Yeah, they are. They are. Thanks for leaving me out. Anyway, so, um, so, my, so my wife tells me, she, I love you. She does. My wife's very good with her. She'll say to me, Adam, I love you. I'm like, I take it, you know, thanks. You know, I'm not always great at receiving that. Um, so she tells me I, she loves me. That is the knowledge, okay? My knowledge is my wife loves me. But it's when I see a revelation of that love that my understanding of my wife's love for me is made all the more meaningful. It's not that I doubt that when she says that I love her. Same with the Bible. It's not that I doubt anything about the character of God in there. But when I see the revelation of it, I'm like, oh, it's more meaningful. The other day, I was coming home. I love football. I don't know if you know that. I love football. I love watching football, playing football. Uh, I now referee football. Anything to do with football, I love. Love it. And there was a football match on at home, uh, and I was really excited to watch it. It was Spurs versus Swansea, which, you know, I was, I'm not a Spurs fan, I'm not a Swansea fan, but I knew there was this premiership football match on that I wanted to watch. So I walked in, I walked into our lounge, and the worst thing happened. 
is the worst thing that could have happened in that moment. My wife was holding the remote control. (laughs) 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 Guys, I don't know if you're anything like me, but in that moment, fear and panic sets in. Like, how am I going to, how can I legitimately love my wife but get that remote control for myself without coming across as kind of despotic and whatnot? So I said, uh, 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 Oh, are you watching the TV? And it was like, you know, attempt one. I think she knew what I wanted because she was like, Yeah. I can see what she was thinking, you know. You know, what's your, how are you next going to approach this? And then she was like, Why? Did you want to watch something? And I was like, yeah, I was kind of hoping that I'd watch Spurs-Swansea. She was like, you don't support Spurs or Swansea. And I'm like, I'm not going to know that. I just, it, it doesn't matter. It's fine. I'll sit on the, on the sofa and, and read a book and sulk. Yeah. <laughs> Pretend that I'm fine when I'm not. Um, and, I was, and I was fine. And I, I went and sat on the sofa. And, uh, and you know what it's like? You've got that like, one-minute window then as, as to what is going to happen. You know what I mean? And then... I could see my wife flicking on the, the remote control. She didn't get through. And then she turned to me and she said, you can watch Spurs versus Swansea. You know? Now, she, that was a sacrifice to her. There's 10 series of Friends on Netflix at the moment. <laughs> you know, there's plenty for her to watch. It was a revelation of that love. You know? And that's what Paul's saying here. That knowledge combined with revelation gets, gives us a deeper understanding of that. This is something the last couple of years of God's really impressed upon me. A couple of years ago, I was really wrestling with God. I didn't really feel like I was growing to know him better. And you know what? And I'm good at reading my Bible. You know, I've I got sticky tabs in my Bible, you know? And you know, I've got highlights in my Bible, and I've got notes in my Bible, you know? I don't read my Bible. But I felt like something was missing. I felt like... I wanted, a couple of years ago, I just wanted more of who God was. I wanted to know him better for myself. And it was through, and what I realized was I wasn't really putting any trust in him. I wasn't really praying and trusting in God for anything. So I started, I really started looking to, to pray and put my trust in God. And I've been doing that in some really big things. And I've got some big things that I'm praying for and some smaller things. And it's as I've put my... Because what, what spurred this was, when I reflected on my life of when I really knew God most, I was reflecting on the times that I really put my... It was when I'd put my trust in him through prayer. My daughter was ill. Uh, she's now four, so about four years ago. Good math. Um, and she was really poorly. We went to... She, she was in intensive care, and we had that conversation with the doctor, the conversation that no parent wants, and doctor was preparing us for the worst and my wife and my, my daughter was very young at the time we were in Adambrooks and I was commuting in and out because I was looking after the other children and oh, I was really wrestling with God in prayer you know really praying for my wife praying for my, my newborn child praying for my kids you know all that kind of stuff and just felt in that I knew something of the goodness of God the presence of God the sovereignty of God and and I, I didn't know what the outcome was, and we had got a good outcome. You know, my wife, my daughter, you know, came through that week and is uh, healthy and well now. But I can say this, you know, with I'm saying this with integrity. I knew something of the goodness of God in that, that 
through that prayer and trusting in God that I knew even if the worst would have happened, I'd, God had been good and I'd seen something of God. I was strengthened. I saw something of the goodness and greatness of God. It was remarkable. And as I've learned to put my trust more and more in God, I've seen his characteristics from that knowledge in my, in my own life and it has, been, it has been phenomenal. You know, the other day, it's not just big things, little things. You know, I've told you I've just, I'm just qualified to referee. Um, and uh, I've got about four pairs of football boots, but none of them are black. And I found out on this course you have to have black boots to referee a football match. So I was like, I really didn't want to spend another 120, uh, 50 pounds on boots. Okay, four boots. I didn't want to do it, you know. So I prayed. I'm going to trust God in this. And I was like, God, I just pray I'd really like some football boots that I haven't got to pay for. And I, to be honest, I could afford them, but I just felt it was a bit of a waste of money because I got like four pairs of football boots that were blue and white and I don't know, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know what? I prayed. And in my head, there was a pair of boots that I really wanted. They're called Puma Kings. They were the ones that I wanted. And if you're a footballer here, you know they're like the daddy of black boots. And you know what? About just before I was about to start, a friend came to me. I texted around saying, anyone got any spare football boots I can borrow? Because my first match had come and I had to referee. And my mate texted me, he's like, I've got a pair. I went over to see him. He goes, you can have these. I want you to have them. I said, no, no, no. It's fine. I said, no, I want you to have them. And I looked, pair of Puma Kings. Amazing. I was refereeing yesterday. And I put my boots on and I reflected on the generosity of God while I'm refereeing. Genuinely, I'm doing these up thinking, God, you're good. God, you're generous. You know? Because I put my prayer and my trust in God. And it wasn't just this. It was this and prayer and trust. You know? Really important that we do that. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's the same for us. The Bible tells us that God comforts. He's a comforter. That's when you pray and trust God for comfort that this is revealed. You get a revelation of that knowledge. God, we know that God is a provider. We know that theology, but when you pray and trust for the provision and he provides, and sometimes not always the way you want it, you have a revelation of that knowledge. And sometimes when you're praying and putting your trust in God, the outcome isn't always the outcome you want, but God still blesses you in that with revelation of who he is. Because we've put our trust and our faith in him. And without trust and without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible tells us that. So we get that revelation of that knowledge through our prayer and trust. Paul's prayer here. And for us, that should be our prayer this morning. When I was preparing this, I, I just felt, you know, in this room, some of you, I just felt some of you can relate to that. That sense of, you, you're good with this, you know you're God, but you feel like there's a depth that you've not quite got yet. And that thing about trusting in prayer is something you think, that's it. That's it. We encourage you to do that this morning. For some of you in here, you might not call yourself a Christian. Firstly, I'm so pleased you're with us this morning. And let me say that Christ is wonderful and amazing, remarkable and profound. For you, you might be trusting in God, thinking about trusting in God for the first time. Well, let me encourage you to do that. It changes your life. It's tough. It's hard being a Christian, but it is the most wonderful and amazing thing in the whole world. Because God lives within us. And for some of you, that's an encouragement. 
You know God, you know the, the knowledge of him, you know that revelation of him, and you want to keep trusting him. Let me encourage you to keep doing that. But then Paul goes on. And Paul actually goes specifically into three things that he wants the church in Ephesus to know. Three things that he was praying. And these are three things that we can pray for ourselves and for the church. One, the point I loved uh, amongst others yesterday from what, uh, last week from what Tim was saying uh, was that bit about our Father in heaven. That when we pray, we pray for not just ourselves, but... That is some beat, that is. Um, uh, that we don't just pray for ourselves, we pray for our family, our church, you know? You know, this is, these are prayers that, that when we reflect on, we can pray for ourselves, but pray for our church. So what's the first thing that Paul is uh, highlighting specifically? Well, he says this. He prays for that the Ephesus church would have a knowledge and revelation of the hope to which he has called you. So what does Paul mean by the hope to which he has called you? Well, biblical hope is not like earthly hope where we, you know, it's fingers crossed and what's going to happen. Biblical hope is a certainty and there's certainty in this. It's the certainty of things to come which reflects something of the character of Christ. God wants you to have hope in what is to come. And what is to come? Well, amongst other things, and we won't go into all of them, it is eternal life and resurrection in an incorruptible body. Titus says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which accords with his godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Paul is praying that the Ephesus church and the Christians wider understand their, the hope of and, secure, and certainty of eternal life. Why? Why does Paul pray this? Why should we pray this for ourselves and for our church? Well, I'd suggest three reasons amongst others. First is that eternity itself reveals something of who God is. God is eternal. Okay? So, and Christ is eternal. Not always has Christ been but he always will be, both ends of the scale. So Paul is praying, there's something reflecting on the eternity, the character of Christ that they would understand. The second thing that I, that I, that I would suggest, that, well, the reason why Paul's praying this, is that the certainty of eternal life, this truth for us today, brings us so much peace. Because the thought of death can be really scary. You know, like I remember being scared of death. I remember doing my paper round and dreading the thought of death. Death is scary. Death's scary to the world. That's why a lot of the messages that come out in the world is, you know, live your life to the full now because, you know, it's going to go. Well, it is. But I don't fear death anymore. Um, there's uncertainty there. There's a difference between the two. What's going to happen, you know? How's it going to... I don't fear death. I don't fear that. I know it's secure in Christ and that brings a peace. For the church in Ephesus, uh, I, think, I don't think they came under too much persecution, but Tim or someone might be able to, I don't know if they did, but I know after the stoning of Stephen, a number of churches um, came under persecution. Uh, Christians came under persecution. So death would have been very real. 
a very real outcome when you contextualize this verse. Paul's, Paul's praying for them that they get hold of Christ is eternal, your security in God, that your eternal security is eternal. And we can pray that for ourselves in our 21st century world. Our lives here are momentary, a blink of an eye in the life of a person. And for those that are in Christ, we know that the rest of time after that blink will be with him in a place of no suffering, tears, and one where with all others who also believed in Christ. It brings a hope. People who don't believe in Jesus don't have that. There's an absence of that. And for us to keep praying, God, just keep, just keep securing that in me, that knowledge of I am, I am, uh, my hope is eternal in you. It's really important, Paul's praying. For those, you know, just recently we've had a number of people in our church who've passed away. A number of them, many of them Christians. It brings a hope that they are in, with Christ, that it isn't goodbye but it is kind of goodbye for now. It's a difference. You know? When I die, my children will know, I'm going to see Dad again. I don't know what it's going to look like, you know? But I'm going to see Dad again. You know? For us, this brings so much comfort. And we know that amongst us. Remarkable truths. Effectively, death loses its sting. And in its place, we have hope and peace. And the third reason, I think, it motivates us in two ways, I would suggest. To live our lives in honor and glory to him. As we know, we don't have long. It helps us to run the race well, knowing that there will be an end to the race. So I want to run that race well. I remember saying at 18, 19, I'm glad kind of God's revealed himself to me at that age because I've got the rest of my life now to do some stuff for God and get to know God better. It motivates us to lead our lives well. And what it also does is it motivates us to pray for the lost. I'm desperate. None of my family are Christians. Not one. Not one of my family, my immediate family, not my own family. They are. My mom, two brothers, sister, my gran, who's quite poorly at the moment. None of them know Jesus. I know that hope and I pray and I've been reminded afresh about it recently so I pray that I would know that they would know that hope it motivates me to pray for the lost the second thing that Paul prays what are the riches in what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints this is a tricky one in the in the phrasing it says it's his glorious inheritance this is God's inheritance and whenever you, so when you consider, well, what is God's inheritance? What is, what is Paul trying to get to, what is Paul praying here? When you read through the Old Testament, God's inheritance is often a synonym for the people of Israel. It comes through, you know, a number of times in the Old Testament. So what God is saying is that, that so what Paul is praying here is, uh, and so what's happened is, God's, so in the Old Testament, so what Paul is praying here is that God's people comprising both of Jews and Gentiles are his inheritance. So we are God's inheritance. Have you heard that before? Yes? No? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. That might be doing. It's not. It's even better. We're, in, we're, in, we're God's inheritance. Can you say I'm God's inheritance? No, oh, that wasn't. Can we just, let's just try and say it like it's a good thing. I'm God's inheritance. 
Yeah, we're God's inheritance, okay? Which means he will display us to the universe, the untold riches of his glory. We are that important to God. So what's Paul praying here? That God's people will know who they are. That's what he's praying. We're God's inheritance. That you know who you are. That our new identity is in Christ. He views us as his beloved son. How greatly prized they are and we are. Paul is praying that, that they would know we are the inheritance of God and we are those that he will display to the universe when Christ comes again. It's remarkable who we are, you know? I mean, I know who I am. I know what I've done, the things I've done. And for me to have to, the Bible, God's word to attribute that to me is, is remarkable. And us praying that for ourselves and for our church is so important. Especially the younger generation. You know, our world now is undermining our identity, but our kids' identity. Hands up here if you've got children kind of 20 or younger. 20 or younger, hands up straight. Okay, we need to fight for our kids in prayer for their identity, that they would know that they are God's glorious inheritance because the world is going to spew lies at them day after day, time after time. That's why Paul's praying that. In our world now, which is undermining our identity, but especially our kids' identity as they're kind of formulating who they are through social media, TV, cultural opinion, this is a massive prayer. We've got 60, 70 kids upstairs right now. Tim's prayer last week, our Father in heaven, we stand as a church to pray these things. Let's stand as a church to pray these things. Pray them over our children. Lord, that our children would know they're God's inheritance, that they are children of God, that they are loved, that they could not be of any more value. Let us stand and pray that prayer. That's what Paul's praying. Praying for Ephesians, we pray that for us and our children and for ourselves. So important. And if... And if you're, you feel that identity is insecure, then pray that prayer. God, reveal to me in knowledge the word, in revelation, through prayer and trust, who I am. Let the head knowledge become heart knowledge. Pray it with people, through with someone. Don't just kind of sit on it and think, well, this is all I get with God. It is not all you get with God. And then finally... The final thing that Paul prays is an understanding of the greatness of his power. It says, uh, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? You know, I had a laugh to myself. Well, it was a bit of a laugh. It was a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of one of those kind of laughs. You see the tweets between the leader of North Korea and the leader of America with the button? You see that? I mean, it was, I mean, I chuckled, but then I, the, the scale of what they were doing just kind of hit me, and I was like, oh my goodness. Here's two world leaders postulating with nuclear, nuclear deterrent on the lives of families in this world. Postulating on Twitter, on it. whose button is bigger than the other? You're crazy. Who's the most powerful? My button's bigger than yours. Yeah, yeah, my button's bigger than yours. Well, my button works. It's goodness. This is what our world's become. I was reflecting on it. 
And I was reminded, a couple of verses, Psalm 5 I was reminded of, but I was also reminded of this. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is Jesus. If you don't know Jesus here, Colossians, this is Paul's, this is like a sister letter to Ephesians. If you don't know Jesus, this is Jesus. So this is some of that knowledge about who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Other, uh, others or thrones uh, or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Here's these two leaders postulating with power. Jesus has the power to create both that which we see and that which we do not. Jesus is the reason all creation was created. Jesus holds all things together. Jesus was able to conquer death. Jesus has the power to save someone from their sins. Jesus is able to send the Holy Spirit to live within us. Jesus is able to heal the sick. Jesus is able to restore the brokenhearted. Our God not only invented and created the very molecules that make up the button, but is the only one who is able to put living breath into the lungs of the people who are postulating with it. That is our God, the greatness of his power. So I can pray for my sick daughter and I can pray for a pair of football boots and know that my God is all-powerful. Like, Do you know the scale of how powerful your God is? The Bible tells you. The Bible told me all of that. Do you know it, though? I pray into it. Trust into it. Get that revelation into it. The power that these two people were wielding is incomparable. And this is what Paul is praying that his people know. The incomparable power of God, which reveals the incomparable God. This should be our prayer. This is why we can have confidence in our prayers, both little and big, because our God is God. Can we stand, please? I just want to encourage you where you are. Just to, I'm just going to pray. But I, just, I don't want you to miss the kind of moment. It might help to close your eyes. It might help to lift your hands up. However you engage with God, I just encourage you to do that. But just allow God's word now just to kind of reflect in your heart, rest on your heart. Now allow him to speak to you, challenge you, encourage you. What is the effect? And as I'm praying this, as I'm talking now, I just encourage you to engage. What is the effect of praying these prayers that Paul is, this prayer in Ephesians that Paul is praying? It's the people who fear deathless. It's the people who know where the world will end up and are people who know their own inherent value. They're people who have confidence in all aspects of his power and a people who know that this is not just in their heads as knowledge, but in their hearts as revelation. God, we just pray right now. We want to be those that know you with our heads through the Bible and your word, your revealed word. But also we know you through our prayers and in the revelation of that. Lord, we say we want to be a people that, are, that trust in our God through prayer. 
We want to be those that take steps of faith in our God because it is only through that that we can please you. And through that, Lord, we say we want to know you better. Wherever we are right now, God, whatever level of where we would say we know you, we say we want to know you more. We want to know a length and a breadth and a depth of, of who you are and who we are in you. And we pray, Lord, this week, help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Help us to stand with our church, as Tim was encouraging us last week. Our Father, help us, Lord, to stand with our church, for our church, Lord, this church and wider, in prayer, Father, we ask. We want to be those that love you and continue to show that in all that we do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, guys.